0: Our scripture this morning will be from the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 8, looking at verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning seated in his chariot. And as he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, Go over, join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him, reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Aztus, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: All right. Thank you, Luke, and thank you, Michael. Uh, My junior year of college, uh, I went through a time that I've described as being God haunted. It's kind of a weird way to put it, and here's what I mean by it. Um, so I was kind of uh, your stereotypical fraternity guy. I know mean, there's a lot of good things that happen in fraternities. I was in the stereotypical bad way. Um, and, uh, but, but I couldn't stop thinking about God and where I stood with him. And, and I was the kind of guy, I grew up going to church. I knew that Jesus died for my sins. And I also knew that there was a lot in my life that, that wasn't right. And so there was this inner turmoil that I was going through. But, but no one really knew about it. I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't like talking about it. Uh, and most people probably would have, been discru- would have been surprised that I was having this kind of internal struggle. Uh, and so during this time, I began to have, uh, and I think I've shared this before, I began to have somewhat of an abnormal fear of death. And so here's what this looked like for me. I mean, no everyone in, in some ways can be afraid to die, I guess. But uh, I would go to bed at night. I was perfectly healthy. There was no health issues. And I would be very much afraid of dying in my sleep and that I would wake up in hell. And so that was, that was my last thoughts before I went to go to bed most nights. And so anyway, it was really difficult. Um, but there was a guy in my fraternity And and he was walking with the Lord. And so what what that means for me in that stage is that guy was very much involved in the campus ministry and wasn't getting hammered at our parties. So if you do those two things, you're the elite, right? But anyway, so, uh, but I knew he was, he was walking with the Lord and I knew that he would be a good person to talk to about it. His name was Clint. Name is is Clint. Um, And so oddly enough, I started to pray for Clint and I was praying God, would you have Clint talk to me about this? And this weird thing was, I was just too ashamed and embarrassed to bring it up to anybody. I felt like I've grown up in church and I I didn't want to make it sound like I wasn't a Christian or I I didn't know what was going on. or didn't know that Jesus died for sin. It was just a really weird time. And so as much as I felt shame, I also felt haunted. And so I was just really in in a weird spot But by God's providence, one night I was driving to the fraternity house and we happened to to pull up at the same time. Uh, So as we got out of the car, we started talking and we had a mutual friend that we were were talking about. uh, And this friend had recently... Uh, Got involved the way I would have described it at the the time was this friend of mine recently got involved in their campus ministry and was getting like super involved like going to even going not just going to their meeting but going to their Bible studies So he was coming extreme, right? So anyway, but I was like, you know, I really appreciate what's going on in his life And I'd kind of to be honest. I'd like to see something similar happen in my life And then he asked a question which changed my life forever And 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 buckle up because it is not a profound question (laughs) He just said kevin What's holding you back? And my life has never been the same since that moment. Now, when when he asked that question, I didn't have some revelation of here's the thing that's holding me back, or what what happened from that question. I I I don't even remember what I said. I said something probably stupid, and and ended up landing on I really don't know what's holding me back. And so, but from that moment, he and I began to meet up somewhat weekly. I started going to the campus ministry, got involved in Bible studies heard the gospel, the scriptures taught over and over and over, and slowly my life began to change, uh, and the rest is history. From that moment on, I've, I've never quite been the same, um, and, and, and my, my story is, is is one of those where I'm not real sure when I became a Christian. Like I said, I, I grew up in the church. I don't remember ever thinking, ever, ever not knowing that Jesus died for sins. I, I I've always had heard that. I knew that. Um Maybe it was when I was really young, maybe it was sometime in junior high, uh, but it might very well have been my junior year of college when I, when I truly started to follow Jesus, or as the Bible might describe it as being born again. Now, now here's one thing that you cannot do from that story. You, you cannot plug in what happened to me w- with other folks and expect the, the same results. Like, if you were to leave here, and, and, and if you were to go ask 10 people, hey, What's holding you back? I mean, you might not get really any much of a response. But for me, it was life-changing. I mean, this changed the course of my life forever. And the reason it did is something, something was going on underneath the surface that no one could see. And whenever you hear an evangelism or conversion story, there are some elements, there's some ingredients that are always there. Uh, and they're in our text today they were in my story, and I'm pretty sure that they are in your story as well. And so so here are the three ingredients uh, to effective evangelism. First, there's God's providence. All right, step one, it's already out of our control. Two, the work of the Spirit. And three, the Word of God. So, So let me spend a little bit of time on each one of these. First, Let's talk about God's providence. We, we just uh, recited together the 27th question and answer of the Heidelberg Confession. I'm going to read it again. What do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs, grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed... All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. As Christians, we should not believe in chance or luck. We are instead to believe in the providence of God. All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So in our text today, there is no doubt this meeting between Philip and the the Ethiopian, it happens by the providence of God, and it's even explicitly by the providence of God. In verse 26, you read this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There is a specific place where the Lord wanted Philip to be. Then in verse 29, we read this. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. And then in verse 32, we see that the Ethiopian just so happened to have a copy of the book of Isaiah, and he just so happened to be reading Isaiah 53. That's all about Jesus. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is one of the anchors of my my faith, because this was written well before the time of Jesus. And it starts off whispering about Jesus, and it begins to scream Jesus as you go through that book. And that's the the, the the book, the chapter that this Ethiopian was reading. So this was not by chance. This wasn't a lucky moment for the Ethiopian or for Philip. This moment is a product of God's providence. This was being orchestrated by God. And I think this is a very important doctrine for us to understand. Again, as Christians, we don't believe in luck or chance. So if we have a run of good luck or if we have a run of bad luck, we ought to not credit it to luck or chance, but understand it as God's providence. And even more than just understanding it as God's providence, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to give thanks in all circumstances. And that seems odd to give thanks in all circumstances. Well, it doesn't seem odd if you understand that all things come by God's fatherly hand. Not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. So this Ethiopian was on God's agenda. He was not just lucky God had him come all the way from Ethiopia uh, to have Philip explain the gospel to him. And this Ethiopian was a part of a bigger thing that God was doing. And if you remember back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the apostles they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So up till now in Acts, Jerusalem, check. Judea, check. Samaria, last week, check. The ends of the earth, or Ethiopia, check. The Ethiopian was a part of God's plan all, of lo- all along. And, the, and if you are in Christ, the same is true of you. As we read in Ephesians 1, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, let's consider the work of the Spirit in this passage. All right, usually when we talk about the, the, the work of the Spirit of God in regards to conversion stories, we're talking about the one converting. But in our text today, the work of the Spirit is highlighting not the person converting, but the person who is sharing the gospel. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. In God's providence, before this even happened, God intended for Philip to share the gospel with this Ethiopian and for this Ethiopian to be receptive to him. That was going to happen. But how? did God make that happen? God made it happen by the Spirit of God saying to Philip, go over there and join the chariot. And I'd love to talk to Philip about this moment. I'd have a few questions for him. I'm curious. I'd like to ask him, was that, did you hear it audibly? Like, did you hear it? Like you hear my voice, like go over there? Was it it that clear? Or was it this unmistakable impression? Was it just this, you were just very much compelled. It wasn't an audible voice, but it might as well have been. It was so clear. Or was it just a subtle inclination? Like you weren't quite sure? You felt a bit moved to do that? Uh, and then after, after the fact, it was, oh, this is clearly the Spirit of God doing this. But it, it, it's not clear what category it, it, would, it would be in. But what is clear is that Philip was directed by the Spirit to do something, and he did it. And sometimes I wish God would just tell me what to do, tell me to say something or, or to do something or to go to a random house and share the gospel with, with, with some random person or pretty much anything. I think if he told me clearly, I really think I, I would do it, at least on a good day. But in all my life, I've never heard the voice of God telling me to do something specific. I've had a range of impressions and inclinations to do things at certain times uh, but I'm not totally sure if they were always from the Lord, uh, or, or what might have been happening, and, and I think there can be a danger of going to, to one or two extremes. One one extreme might be relying on something mystical like this, to where um, you're you're wanting to know what to do, and you're kind of relying on, on on a sign from the Lord. And, and let, let me take this time to say is that I think um, I think we need to be careful when we have when we're trying to discern God's will or discern what we're about to do. To, be, to have our eyes open for signs. And look, it's not that the Lord might not work that way. I just think we can get lost in our, in our brains like that. For example, my senior year of college, I was trying to figure out what, what my next step was. Uh, they were talking about sending me to, to two different schools. Uh, it was Florida State and Southern Miss. That was gonna be my, my next assignment. And I remember one time I was praying about it and a car came up next to me and they had a Florida State Seminole sticker on there. And I thought, oh, wow, well, that's clearly the Lord. And then the next day, somebody with a Southern Miss on the back of their car. Oh, wow. that's like, At what point are we just kind of making things up, you know? So anyway, we just need to be careful about relying on this overly mystical sign. The Lord is much more likely to work from your Christian friends, giving counsel and prayer than some random bumper sticker on some car. So watch out for that. The other error I think we can make is we can just become... Um, uh, only logical about it. It's just our brains and, and, and the facts at hand. And, uh, and where, where logic and reason tend to have more influence than the Spirit. And, and so this is where I think those of us who are, who are uh, more reformed in our theology uh, can, can tend to err. Um, people sometimes make fun of us and they, they call our Trinity God, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, right? It's almost like it's, it's just the scriptures to the neglect of the Spirit. Uh, But but the work of the Spirit is not something we can neatly put into a box, right? I mean, the Spirit asked Philip to go up to this random chariot, and the Spirit might ask you or me to do something that seems odd, and that if we were ever just sit down and think about what to do next, we would never come up with it. And I've mentioned before throughout the series that we shouldn't expect miracles at the same rate that the apostles saw it in Acts. I think God was doing a unique thing in their time to to uh, confirm them as his messengers. But I don't think it should, means that we should rule out miracles altogether, that they would never, ever happen. Uh, in, in a similar way, we need to be careful about, the, about putting the Spirit in a box where, where the, the Holy Spirit is just a theological category. The Holy Spirit is a person lives in us, leads us, guides us. And if the Spirit of God lives in us, then we should expect the Spirit to lead us to do things that we might not normally come up with on our own. I'm, I'm a bit of a planner. I like to plan my days, my week, and my year, and I like to stick to those plans. But, but one thing that you guys, if you're a planner, if you know planners, married to a planner, one thing that can be tough is that we don't always hold our plans loosely. And we need to leave margin in our lives for the unexpected guidance of the Spirit. And I wonder how many of our days might be different if we approached every day like this, as if the Spirit was going to lead us to do or say something that we were not planning on doing or saying that day we should ask to be led by the Spirit daily. And even several moments throughout the day, we should ask our God, what do you have for me right now that we don't see or understand or have planned? And I bet if we did that, I bet our lives would be a lot more exciting because I, I, I bet it would go off, uh, off script for us on our agenda. Now, one thing worth noting um, is the question about... Um, if if the spirit is really leading us, so let's say we do that. Let's say in a moment we're saying like, yeah, I really do want to be led by the spirit, Lord. What do you have for me? Uh, I think it can be profoundly difficult to discern what is from God and what is just our thoughts. Uh, maybe the most time it's impossible. But if we have an inclination to do something, and that inclination is in line with what the with the, with the spirit with with, with 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 what the scriptures teach, then we really have very little to lose. So, so Philip went up to this chariot, and this wasn't going to happen, but what if the guy said, get lost? Well, he followed that inclination, and the guy told him to get lost. It was weird. Weird moment. He lost very little. And so there's just a sense where I wonder if following the, Spirit, the leading of the Spirit might involve some risk. But if we're willing to follow the, the Spirit's leading, we just might find that there's a lot more of the Spirit's leading in our life. Like, like the golfer Palmer, like, like the golfer Arnold Palmer said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. The the more we seek the Spirit's leading, the more we are led by the Spirit. I'm really beating up on the idea of luck today. Um, so, in summary, so far, uh, we've seen that this conversion came by God's providence, and by the work of the Spirit in Philip, not just in the one converting. And there's one more thing, one more ingredient to consider in this evangelism conversion story, and it's the Word of God. So spend some time there. So Philip runs to the chariot. The Ethiopian is reading Isaiah. He asks if he understands what he's reading. He says he does not. Uh, And then as we read that beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I think when it comes to, to the Word of God, we might underestimate not the importance of God's Word, but I wonder if we underestimate the power of God's word. In, in Genesis 1, we read that God created the world and everything in it by his word. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus compared God's word to a seed that gets planted and grows in the heart of a believer. In 1 Peter one twenty-three, we see the word of God is the stuff from which we are born Again it says this since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God and the word of God is not just ink on paper it's a living thing it's alive Hebrews 4:12 says the word of God is living and active it's not just ink on a paper It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul, of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's cutting deep to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I'm quite sure that none of us have fully have our minds wrapped around this idea that the Word of God is alive and it's active. And if we did, I bet we'd approach the Word of God differently. And what Philip was doing here was taking something that was living and active and turning it loose on this Ethiopian's heart. And when the scriptures are proclaimed in such a way that they're rightly taught in the gospel, the good news about Jesus dying for sins is proclaimed, there is something supernatural that's taking place. And Philip was explaining the gospel to the Ethiopian through Isaiah 53, and things happened. There was power in this moment. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the church would do well to promote Christ-centered, scripture-based gospel teaching because supernatural things happen when that happens. The thoughts and intentions of the heart get exposed and people become born again. And these things are happening whether you realize it or not. You might think just like... I don't know. I just kind of hear it. I don't think I don't really find it working. It's working. <laughs> even, even in my worst of sermons, like if it's, if it's, we're preaching the gospel, the, the scriptures accurately, we're preaching Christ. It's at work. First Thessalonians two thirteen. Paul wrote this. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It's working in them. It's working in you, whether you realize it or not. You know, I have a, I have a hard time with, with allergies. Uh, seems like a couple times a year, I'll come up here and I'll apologize for my handkerchief that my wife hates that I carry around. Uh, and so anyway, um, so anyway, good news is there's some medicine for that. I can take some medicine and my allergies are, are, are better. It's not as bad. I don't know how it works. I just take it. I I take it because I believe it works. I don't know what the pill does, and I don't think I really have to understand the inner workings of what this little pill does to my allergies and what's happening internally. I just believe it works, and so you might say I receive the pill because I believe it works. And it's similar with the Scriptures. You need to know that there is power in the Word of God, and you don't need to know how it works, just that it does and make it a habit to receive the Word of God. And finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about baptism for a bit here. Uh, baptism. Uh, once the Ethiopian believed the gospel, he thought he should be baptized, and he was right. The appropriate response to believing the gospel is to be baptized. So if you believe the gospel that Jesus died for for sin for your sins, and you desire to no longer be at peace with sin in your life, but to follow Jesus instead, then you should be Baptized, and please talk to me if you would like to be baptized. Uh, you know, I, I have a bit of an odd story with baptism. I grew up in a Methodist church. Uh, in my 20s, I was a part of the Presbyterian church, um, and so both tr- traditions um, uh, baptized infants rather than only believers, as most Baptist church or as Baptist churches would do. Uh, and in my 30s, I became persuaded uh, that even though I was baptized as a child, I'd not been baptized uh, since I came uh, to 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 faith, a sincere faith. And at the time, I was a campus director, I had a couple kids, Uh, I felt like the the time had gone, I'm kind of in the club already, and uh, I'm not sure if I really need to be baptized. Um, But over time, uh, I was persuaded from the scriptures, and then this nagging conscience that just wouldn't let me kind of excuse it anymore. And I felt like, you know what, even if it seems weird, even if it seems late to the game, I just need to get baptized. And so I got baptized as an adult believer. Um, And and because I saw it in the scriptures, my conscience wasn't letting me not do it. And so uh, I was obedient to what I thought was clear in the scriptures. So if you have not been baptized as a believer, I would say you should, and I think the scriptures teach that you should be baptized. Now, let me tie all this together that I've gone through. The ingredients for effective evangelism are these. Number one, God's providence. Number two, the Spirit of God, not just in the hearer, but in the one who is sharing the gospel too. And three, it's the Word of God, the imperishable seed by which people are born again. And finally, when someone by God's providence, the work of the Spirit and the Word of God comes to saving faith and repentance, they should be baptized. And may that be put on repeat at Redeemer Church until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your good and kind providence that for all those who love you uh, or know that your good providence is working all things together for good, uh, even the bitter things, as Michael mentioned earlier. So help us to trust in your providence Help us to rely on your spirit that you put in us to lead us and to guide us and help us to be students of the word of God that we might do all your will and even be more discerning with what the spirit might be leading us to do. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen.